We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Big Blue Banter Podcast. And this will actually be the first time in podcast history for this one or anyone I've done or any Giants coverage where I've been in the middle of a season where the Giants are actually in the midst of a fire sale. I have never seen what happened, what just happened this week, where they traded two starters on the defensive side of the ball, one who's arguably the best run stopper in the NFL, definitely the Giants' best run stopper, even though the defense still was ranked number 20 in run defense, even with him on the roster. Um, And I support that move, and I'll explain why later in the podcast. Uh, But it's an interesting time right now for the Giants. It's only week eight, and they're already selling big players that would help them win games this year. They've made it clear they're reshaping their roster for the future. I think it's something smart. I think that they're finally, you know, realizing that, hey, this roster that we've had that's missed the playoffs five of the last six seasons, it needs to change. We need to restart. And for those who are a bit worried about it and what's been going down the past week, just remember, things change really fast in the NFL. It's the only sport, in my opinion, where you can really reshape your roster and get back on track in such a short period of time. Just look at what the Rams did two years ago before they hired Sean McVay. They looked like one of the most hopeless teams in the NFL under Jeff Fisher. And that's all changed. Um, so, that's a long way uh, to get to where I'm where I'm going, and, and that is to introduce Nick today. How are you doing, Nick? And I know you grinded a lot of this Giants tape, as did I against the Falcons. It's another week where it wasn't that fun to do, but we did it anyway, and we're here to talk about it. Nick, how are you doing? doing? Doing good. Doing better than I was when I watched it on Tuesday night. My girlfriend could attest. I actually did get nauseous. I couldn't <laughs> tell if it was a bug or something, but I was I was actually had to stop for a little bit. It was, it was pretty bad. No, I'm, I'm psyched to be here. I know it's 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 or I say, I'm happy to go through a rebuild now because it's going to be a fun process of evaluating the new talent coming in and the existing talent as they make these personnel 
decisions. And I know it's not easy for, for a lot of fans, but ultimately I kind of side with Dan. It's like, you know, if, if you're at this stage, let's, let's, let's rip it and get it and get it going here. Yeah. And the other positive to this is as far as, the, as you guys are loyal, you know, our loyal listeners who have stuck with us for, from the start and even ones who are joining on now, we're now going to get a chance to do some tape evaluation on some of the players that, you know, benefit from these trades. Snacks Harrison trade is going to open up snaps for guys we want to see like BJ Hill, even Dalvin Tomlinson. And, you know, even, uh, I'm sorry, not, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Mario Edwards, the kid they picked up from the Raiders at final cuts, who's in my opinion, really looked good when I watched him on tape and he's had some more snaps over the past few weeks. You also might get a chance to see RJ McIntosh, fifth round pick who's starting to practice again now. So, and, and then on the other side of the ball, you got Grant Haley, the undrafted free agent, who a lot of people like in the organization. He's going to get serious playing time now with the injury. And, and something interesting we saw from today, James Betcher, Giants defensive coordinator, actually said that Sean Chandler, the, the, the kid with the unbelievable story, the undrafted free agent at a temple, is going to get some snaps in the slot as the nickel cornerback. Before this, he was really just on the roster as a safety. So, you know, good things are ahead, we hope, and we're going to do our best to evaluate the players who we believe will be a part of this roster moving forward and evaluate those who we won't, who we believe won't be a part of this roster moving forward and explain why. So first, before anything else, we're going to dive into the all 22 review of the Falcons game. We're going to really just try to touch on some key points and we'll start with, you know, one thing that the Giants have had trouble with all season and it showed up again against the Falcons and that's dealing with the zone blitz. So Nick, you did a lot of work on this, how the Falcons really fooled the Giants by the zone blitz. And I want to know if we've seen it happen before, why is it still happening? And who do you think is to blame? Yeah, I think it's something that you know, every week, it, it, you know, when you look at the Giants' offensive issues, it's, it, every week there's something new. And um, that's the mark of a bad team. That's the mark of a bad team when you have a one – or a bad mark of a bad unit when you're one and six. That's kind of how things happen. And, and this week it was the Falcons, massive zone blitzers, uh, basically sending their nickel back. Uh, uh, and I should stop and back up for a second – to almost – to any three by one wide receiver sets, um, the, uh, the basically Atlanta was blitzing their close, their nickelback on that side to the strong side. And I picked out five plays on my weekly piece for cover one.net where this happened. And on in each of the five, it was basically highlighting a different weakness of the Giants, of the Giants offense. And so, you know, first you saw the first couple of plays that I evaluated was definitely the, the issues from the staff where, where Nate Solders getting smoked. So it kind of doesn't matter. Um, but the rest of the plays going into the second half, you saw the Giants adjust to it or basically expect it and some plays that just really go sideways for ways that don't have to for for, for, uh, for reasons that don't have to deal with the uh, with the offensive line per se. All that is going to kind of be stuck going forward for them. And this is maybe something that teams are going to do more so than they have in the past, because if you look at the Eagle game, that's really not what happened. Uh, the Eagle game was work work was covered specific stuff that kind of stymied them, and then their front four rushing. Um, so going forward, I think as teams kind of, you know, maybe I hate to say it this way, but maybe pile up some victories against the Giants. I think they're gonna they're, they're gonna key on this. It's interesting. Do you see? Do you think that it's really uh, when it keeps happening again over and over like this? Is it something that you know the quarterback needs to adjust to, or do you think more so the coaching staff needs to adjust to? Combo of the two, um, they definitely like the play calling. The play calling did shift to it, but they kind of assumed that Manning would be able to basically end the line, which they did pick it up. But when you're when, when you zone blitz, I, should, I guess I should back up with more background or you know, set it up with more background. If you're rushing five, you're dropping six into coverage behind it, and usually that's a three by three level of of zone defense behind that. So if you think about that, if you pick up the blitz. 
there's less zone defenders to account for. And usually when that happens, the defenders are latching on to the man as they come to the zone and almost like a pattern match type type fashion most of the time. So, so it gives you the opportunity, like there are opportunities there, just like any other coverage. There's all there's there's opportunities there. And and ultimately you really saw when they had when they had windows, the either the QB placement wasn't there, the quarterback's placement wasn't there, or when they didn't have that is why and just it just it's it's the mark of a one in sixteen. I just think going forward that they want they're going to want someone back there who's going to be able to make quick decisions, have a quick release, to be able to deliver the ball accurately on time all the time. And I think not all the time, the majority of the time. And I think that you know, although Manning had a lot of very good statistics from this game, that in the red zone this really reared its head, and it's just again the ongoing issues there, and just something that I think that is. It probably means the end is, is coming closer than, than anything else. Yeah, and it's really interesting when you look at it because if you look at this game specifically, it's just a perfect example of how physically speaking, as far as arm talent goes, Manning hasn't really lost that much. He completed three passes of 50-plus yards. You know, he put a lot of balls down the field on the money, and they were big-time completions. And yet, in the red zone, the struggles continued. In the red zone, you know, last year – he had some of the best red zone stats, despite having all the injuries at receiver, despite the offensive line, despite Ben McAdoo. And it seems like in this system or, you know, maybe with another year of regression behind a bad O-line or whatever the problem is, Eli Manning has really regressed in the red zone. And I want to know, you know, how do the Giants fix these red zone issues in your mind, Nick? Or is it just something where they won't be fixed until the quarterback changes or they won't be fixed until the offensive line changes? And then just why the hell have we not seen that arrow route that they ran to Wayne Gallman <laughs> touchdown against the Detroit Lions in the preseason and it was unguardable with Wayne Gallman? Like, how is that not a route in the red zone for Saquon Barkley? I haven't seen that run yet once. And there are plenty of times where they could have isolated Barkley in one-on-one com- uh, coverage where they could have got that route. And it just seems like to me, like, I know you, I know what your answer is going to be, Nick, and I want you to say it. But to me, I really just can't blame this all on the quarterback or even all on the offensive line. I'm seeing coaching issues personally in the red zone, but, but go ahead. Let me see what you've seen. <laughs> Dan likes the, the banter. Dan thinks I know what, thinks he knows what I'm going to say. Um, I would say, first of all, at this point, and I just broke down a play. I spent 90 minutes on one play. That's my day. It's kind of diving into the tape. And then once I see a shiny object, I can't get off of it. Um, I broke down a variation of the Hank concept that the, that the Giants ran in the red zone, and just to, for, to, to to not bore people with the details of this play, it's it's a it's a play that Manning has struggled with this entire year. Yet on the third and and the game basically in this end of the second half, this was the throw where Manning got sacked. Um, uh, and I, again, this is all on my on Twitter. If people want to see the details of the play, um, I stepped in this about an hour into it and go and just thought to myself like. Why is Pat Shermer running this hang concept where in the preseason it got Evan Ingram hurt? Uh, that was against Cleveland. Uh, that was the interception against the, the second play of the game against Philadelphia. It was this play. And now at the key part of the game, like you're calling it in the red zone where the windows are small right. and it's a space concept, but all depending on timing, why? And so <clears throat> I do think it's partially play calling in the red zone specifically. Uh, and then the other side of it, two arrow routes – the only thing I will say is that's a cover two beater and you're not going to see that as much against cover three, but you're even since the giants are facing so much too high, you know, so many too high or a fair amount of too high safety looks. Yeah. It's not being called. Although you're going to, you know, you're not going to be able to see it all the time. You should see more of it for sure. Yeah. 
And I mean, there's just little things like that. Throwing, you know, even just some of the plays that worked for them over the past with Eli Manning in the red zone, the the fades to, to Odell Beckham Jr., things that are really not that overly complicated. I just not seeing in this red zone offense. But I wanted to focus a little bit on what you saw and what we both saw from the reshaped offensive line. The Giants actually had two new starters in on the offensive line. Well, one new starter, but two new players in new positions. They moved John Greco, you know, the guy who was out of football until the Giants signed him, to right guard. And then they brought in Spencer Pulley at center. And let's be honest, he started all 16 games for the Chargers last year. But, you know, if he had value to them, they would have never cut him in September. I know they signed Mike Pouncey. I get it. Pouncey was going to start. But you don't cut quality linemen. They would have loved to have him as a backup guard center if they believed him. in, And they clearly didn't. So, I mean, you got Pulley, you got Greco, you got Wheeler. I mean, what do you see from the offensive line personally? Because I still saw a ton of issues from the offensive line. I know Sean O'Hara did a good job, in my opinion, breaking it down on some of the third down plays and ball and Brian Baldigger did his own thing where he kind of looked at the third down plays. What did you see, Nick? I think uh, the first thing that jumped off my tape from off the tape from my notes was Spencer Pulley was giving her a lot in run and pass. And that was kind of funky. I hadn't watched a ton of tape for him in San in, in, in Los Angeles slash San Diego, whatever you want to call it now, um, for the, the Chargers now. Uh, but yeah, he was his play strength seems to be an issue. Um, let me stop you right there, first, real quick, Nick, because that shot that yeah. stood out to me as well. I mean, if that's st- standing out to all of us at this point, it's like, you know, why is he on the field almost? But go on. Yeah, and so maybe that's a first game back type thing, and, and I, I'm just speculating. I don't know, but it, it needs to improve fast because I think Greco Greco has his own play strength play strength issues versus pass rush. But right. he, he's much better than this. And by the way, I think Greco is pro- probably the best lineman on the field next yeah. to maybe Hernandez. Hernandez is the best game for sure. That was probably his worst game, I thought. Yeah, and so right, and so and, and besides that, obviously everyone knows that Solder had a real tough time with speed yes. rushes. And these and by the way, it, when you have issues with speed rushes, the, the NFL is just gonna take they're just they're, this is gonna be a problem. Uh, and they have to figure out. And what was really sad, I think you saw in a few instances when the Giants actually helped him with a chip. Uh, this was, there were a couple of great examples of of when you use a tight end chip that can actually work against you if the team is stunting. Because on that play, on the one play I'm thinking about, they didn't pick up the stunt because the, the chip delayed the whole issue and all the whole stunt. And all of a sudden, the quarterback gets sacked because of basically something that should have never happened. Um, so stuff like that, you're just seeing again with a, with a one in six team. All, it's like everything's everything bad is happening is happening at once, and, um, and especially in one the first half of this game. Yeah, I mean, and when I'm looking at this right now, Nick, throw in Patrick Omame into the mix because he's going to have a situation next year with his contract where Giants can will have three million in dead cap space if they cut him, but they're also going to save three million or it's either three point five or three million in cap space. So Omame, Greco, uh, Pulley, Chad Wheeler. How many of these players do you think, Nick, will be on the roster in 2019? And how many of these players do you think will be starting? That's a, that's a tough question. I definitely think that I, I would actually start actually going the other way. I think you need to draft – you, you need to get another tackle, left tackle or right. And if that means soldier. They need to, but I just want to know out of those players, in your opinion, regardless yeah. of who you're in the draft and free agency, because we know it's going to be a focus of theirs to, re, to, to get more linemen, regardless – really of anything else that's really been going to be Gettleman's focus what do you think you know do you is there anything to work with there of any of those four I I definitely think there's things to work with if you want to have if you want to basically bump Omame down upgrade at the guard position and then have Pulley or Greco the only thing with issue with Greco Greco is going to be a year old 
older uh, as, you know, still there in the spring. I guess it really depends on the next, and this is why what makes the next seven to eight weeks so important is can these guys, you know, who can compete the best and come out on top of this for now, and then then who can compete with, with, you know, to, for who they want to bring back for camp. Um, so I guess I think it's going to kind of be that type of setup versus right now. I don't I don't know if really any of them, any of the four would, would be able to, to effectively be brought back to camp at, at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's a sad state of affairs when you look at that offensive line, and I know, and you know, there's a lot to blame on Eli Manning for sure. He's not playing great football, but he does. No matter how you look at it, this offensive line has, has really failed him as well, and really failed this team as well. But we'll we'll move on real quick with what we'll do is we'll we'll do a much quicker preview of the Redskins game coming up this Sunday. Obviously, the Giants are one and six. They're not technically or mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, but when you trade two defensive starters, um, it's really it's really kind of throwing in the towel, regardless of what Pat Shermer wants to say about that question. Um, so just looking at the Redskins here, Nick, what do you, what can you tell us about this matchup and like, and, and if you believe the giants, you know, match up well against them or how you see the matchup? I think on the offensive side, um, I think this is sad to say, I should say sad, but I think the Redskins are like the best offense and the most complete offense in, in the NFC East, which is weird, but you know, they're running game. The rushing attack is, is as good as it gets. I think right now in this conference for sure, uh, or this division for sure, I should say, um, just with Adrian Peterson and the basically RPO slash, um, it, it's mostly RPO looks that they're that they're running to very very successfully um, out of out of all types of personnel sets. I think Gruden's having his best year play calling wise. Yeah, uh, and so from from a personnel perspective, I think their offensive line is holding in as good as it can. Um, and so I think the rushing game is actually something that the running attack is something that I'm kind of in terms of a matchup perspective, I think is going to be difficult. I think the fact that they run so much 12 and 13 personnel with their, with their two really good tight ends that I think that the tight ends match up well against the in coverage for, uh, you know, for the skins against the giants. And so that's going to be kind of an issue. It's a good test. It's a test right now for a unit that, you know, a lot of guys have to perform well to kind of not have to perform well, but there's a lot of guys that, you know, that are going to be in trade rumors of the next, you know, until the deadline and, and so they, they, you know, people are going to be watching this performance and it's, it's going to be a good test. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a performance that not only Giants coaches and, and personnel guys are watching, but also around the NFL for the exact reason you said. And what I see with this Redskins team is a is an offense that, like you said, is enjoying a really good year of play calling under, under Jay Gruden, who I believe is one of the best offensive minds in the NFL. He's not McVay level, but he's on that next tier. And so far, he's shown me a lot more than Pat Shermer showed me, for example. But I also see a team that controls the clock. They control the ball with their offense. They keep their defense off the field, and they win the time of possession a lot by you know controlling line of scrimmage in the run game. They really do a good job run blocking up front. And Adrian Peterson has been a lot better than people realize this year. I know it sounds crazy at his age, but it's kind of crazy to when you when you put them on and you watch them play on the offensive side of the ball. And I think on the flip side of it, this is going to be a really big struggle for the Giants offense. I think they're going to look worse offensively against the Redskins than they did against the Falcons. For for starters, the Redskins have had a lot of success against Eli Manning throughout his career, and they've kind of been like the first guys to do what you see teams doing, what you see teams doing now, which is really crowding that line of scrimmage and not afraid to blitz him with with, with zone blitzing and just really putting the pressure on Eli to make plays off script, which is really what you've seen a lot of defenses do to Eli Manning this season, and it's really been an issue. So I think the Giants will struggle to move the ball, and I think on the flip side of it, without Damon Harrison in the lineup, they're going to struggle to to get the Redskins off their style of offense. So matchup-wise, I, I you know I, I I don't see how the Giants can really 
stay, stay with the Redskins in this game. But of course, the Redskins under Gruden, uh, all of his, all of the praise for his play, play, play calling aside, uh, they have been a team that's been known to put put together clunkers um, in games like this where the players may not get up for it or what, whatever the case may be. So, so we'll see what happens there. But I think that's kind of all we're going to dive into this episode with the matchups. We'll probably have a lot more to talk about in the coming weeks when the Giants make the decision to go with. Kyle Oletta, but for now, we're going to try to keep the previews a little bit, uh, a little bit more brief uh, until you know the games actually matter a little bit more and they get some of these younger guys in. But let's dive into some of the trades, Nick, and try to get into some of that talk. So I'll start with the Eli Apple trade and give my opinion, and then we'll go to yours, Nick. So for me, this trade I actually liked a little bit less than the Damon Harrison trade. For me, I guess, I guess in the end, if he's not getting along with his teammates and if he's not a good presence in the locker room. Dave Gettleman, the general manager, is a no-nonsense kind of guy, and he's just going to get rid of you. But I'm not so sure that you know his his past transgressions played a role in this. Um, there's a rumor that go, that's going around Twitter that's, that apparently Apple got into a sideline altercation with Odo Beckham in the Eagles game, and Fox Broadcast caught it. I didn't see it. I saw him yelling. I thought it was over the fact that a play was overturned by the officiating crew, the replay crew. But in the end, they didn't want him as a part of the future. So a fourth and a seventh is not the worst you can get there. But remember, he's still under contract pretty cheap, and he's still really young. Um, so it, it, it's not a great trade. And then you look at the Damon Harrison trade. I don't hate it. I think a lot. it makes a ton of sense um, because of the fact that, one, the Giants weren't using. He played under 50% of the snaps in each of the last two games, and his snap count has decreased in each game this season. At the same time, he's turning 30 really soon. His massive cap hits in 2019 and 2020. And if he's just not the type of guy that you believe is a fit for your style of defensive scheme on the defensive line, and then you look at that roster and you see that you got guys behind him that we talked about earlier on the show that are now going to get playing time, a lot of depth at D-line, a lot of youth. You need cap space to spend in other places. Basically, they just shed his cap and they'll be able to use it in other places while at the same time they picked up a fifth-round pick. Now, do I think if they had waited till after this week and played a little hardball, they could have got a fourth? I actually do. I think the Lions really, really, really need Damon Harrison. They were allowing 5.3 yards per carry on the ground before this trade, and Harrison's a quick fix for them. And I think they could have landed a fourth for him if they had waited it out a little bit more. But they wanted to get rid of him, and and you know Dave Gettleman's not really the type of guy that waits things out. He made that clear after the draft with all his trade talk that he went over and with you know, what he, what he said about the Saquon Barkley trade and how he wanted to rush that pick in, <laughs> but, but the NFL made him wait to the 10-minute mark or the five-minute mark or whatever it was. So, Nick, I just want to get your thoughts on both of those trades. Yeah, I think that you had to have an asset sale at some point, and the timing and the execution of that we're not going to have full information for, right? Okay. At the same time, the biggest thing about the Harrison trade, and I differ a little like, um, th- this is a – He's a player where if you believe that dime is your as, is your base personnel in today's NFL, uh, and I'm just kind of stealing ideas from the best thought leaders in in, the, in, in college and high school in the NFL for this across football, um, you need a big player, not only just a big player, but a very agile player in the interior of your line or it really doesn't work. And so when I say dime as a base, um, obviously the – the NFL now with, with the amount of sub package that is being played uh, because the offenses are running 11 personnel, you know, over 60% of the time, 50 to 60% of the time. That means that you're responding with your nickel package 50 to 60% of the time, at least. 
Um, what what that better takes that a step forward further with the money backer position, the weak side position, or any team, both for the matter with the smaller size linebackers. Since you, since you have linebackers that are 220, 230 pounds, in a way you're kind of running a dime package. And when you're running a dime package, I think that you need a one tech that can really occupy blockers because if those combo blocks are allowed to climb to the second level, those 220 pound, 230 pound linebackers are, it's difficult for them to stand up and especially against the run. So forget my opinion on this trade. I think this trade fundamentally is a change for the Giants defense. Whether or not they want that to be the case, or or or, or they intended that to be the case, or not, it's just it's a big change. You're taking a 340 pound guy who's the best at his position. You're removing him from the equation. So there's guys that can obviously that can fill in, and there's different ways that you can manipulate different things. But I think that this trade makes Alec Ogletree a worse player. I think it makes I think it, it's one of the reasons why Ray Ray Armstrong is not here. And I think that BJ Goodson is a back that can help that. But, you know, I think now teams are going to be able to climb to the second level, run inside zone, run all different types of things um, more easily against the Giants and going forward for next year, too. It's not, it's not just a, a, a move that's made now. So whether you like it or not, I think it really changes the tone. And we'll see how Betcher basically over the next 18 months is able to fill that in. Yeah, that's interesting to me, Nick, because I ask you one thing. When we when Betcher got in here, we, we heard a lot of talk about how he wants – you know, how his, in his 3-4, the defensive linemen are expected to disrupt the quarterback a little bit and to, to create pressure. So do you think that that's more of just like a schematic thing? Is that, you know, is was that just a lot of talk? Or, you know, are you, have you been noticing when you've looked at it and really broken it down that, that this is what he's asking out of defensive linemen and maybe it's something that Snacks Harrison wasn't able to give them as far as the pass rush game goes? I think on the pass rush that – I actually did a thread on snacks yesterday. I saw a lot of improvement this year, those moves. And although it doesn't show up in the statistical side for, you know, for sacks, that's not how coaches kind of track right. things. And in terms of pressures and disruption, I saw him more, not, not as consistent as you would want from a one tech, but you have to step back and think on a, on a, on the first, on first and second down from your one tech position. Is that where you're looking to get your pass rush from, especially a 340 pound guy? Now back it up. You know, you ask like, is that what he was doing in Arizona? He had guys with that profile playing, playing one or two tech on the interior that, that they rotated through two lines. It's partially why you have two lines out, out there is that your one line is, or you're, or you're able to, to mix and match different combinations and get different things from different players. Not one, very few players are all in one basically packages, especially in the interior. Um, so I definitely think it's something that Betcher wanted to do. The other thing I would just say just real quick, you know, in terms of stopping the run, that's what his defenses were the best at, or some of the best at the last two to three seasons. It was at both tiers. People don't understand that from a uh, at football outsider, outsiders from a DVOA perspective, both first, second lines, first and second tiers of the defense, the, uh, the defensive line and the tier of linebackers were like top five in DVOA in both cases, in both in two years, I believe, which is very, very rare. It just doesn't, that usually just doesn't happen um, when you're evaluating defenses. So I think it's something that he was, that he was kind of hanging his hat on. And now I think he took away kind of a big piece to do that. Now, again, people would say, well, this is a passing league, like who gives a shit? And I hear that, but at the same time, I think that, you know, again, it's not, it's neither right or wrong. It's just, it's just the message that's being sent to the players and, and then what the coordinator has to deal with. Yeah. And, but I mean, I, I get all that, Nick, but here's how, here's how I kind of look at it from a top down view. So you got a guy who in this system, in this scheme was playing fewer than 50% of the snaps. They, like you said, they were rotating a lot of, a lot of the linemen in and out. So he's turning 30. He has massive cap hits over the next few years. And if your plan is really to rotate 
at this high of a you know percentage with your defensive your your defensive lineman is it does it really make sense to pay such a massive cap allocation to a player who's only playing 50 percent of the snaps and now he is playing them at a really high level still of course um but it's 50 percent of the snap so to me in the end i just think that from just an overall cap allocation standpoint and from a resource allocation standpoint it's a good decision to get his contract off the roster if that makes any sense Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's where it's so I the other side of it too is I'm coming at it from purely the football perspective, right? You know, and that in a lot of cases that almost kind of doesn't matter for these personnel decisions. And it's just it's more coming at it from what fans should expect. And I think that right. I guess what I'm I guess what, I guess what I'm saying is like you're gonna see that they're gonna have to do a lot of things a, a lot differently, and you're all of a sudden may start seeing the downside of Ogletree when blockers come to him. And that's what's you know, for the next you know, again, snacks would have they wanted to, they would, they in theory would want to part ties with snacks after the 2019 season. Right. So I just saw that as this is a guy who can get you that bridge to that time period, which is going to be important for this defense. Yeah, I, I understand that, but I do still think like in the NFL, there are quick fixes. Like if the giants land a quarterback in this draft class and he is right away, good. I think you can win next year right away. I really do believe that with, the, with, I think that happens all the time in the NFL. Honestly. I mean, you see it with, the Rams, you've seen it with the Chiefs. There's t- teams that turn a, turn this thing around really fast that are believed to be dead, dead in the water. So to me, it's just a matter of if he's not a, p- a part of your plan, James Betcher's plan, and not even that. You know, if he's not a part of a, he's, if he's not a 75% snap player in this defense, I don't want. I don't know if it makes sense to pay him such a big contract. I guess that's where I where I settle in on that. But let's move it on a little bit to Landon Collins, another player who's been rumored to be on the trade block today. Uh, from the Stick to Football podcast, Matt Miller, Bleacher Report, um, their analyst there, their scout said, teams have sniffed around Collins and they've called the Giants about Collins, but what they've heard is the Giants are not interested in entertaining any offers for Collins. So what that tells me is this, Nick, one of two things. One, the Giants plan to franchise tag Collins this offseason. Or two, they plan to re-sign him to a new contract, a long-term contract, one that would most likely make him, let's just be honest, the way that contracts work when players at the open market, would most likely make him the highest paid safety in the NFL. Now, when I tweeted about this and when I've talked about this with some of the people on Twitter, they've said, well, listen, I don't think it's a good move for this Giants franchise to pay Landon Collins like one of the top safeties in the NFL. Nick, where do you stand on that based on what you've seen so far from Collins on all 22 through the first seven games in this new scheme under James Batcher? It's a tough one. That's a tough one because I think he's a really good player, but I think that the overall consistency, if you want to throw it up against other of the, you know, the top three safeties, I wouldn't say he's a top three safety in the NFL. That doesn't mean he can't be one. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know if the big, if you cut you know, with a gun to my head, I don't know if the, the big contract is coming right away. It may be a franchise tag. I absolutely think he's the type of player who can get there. And I do think that can be there. It can be that way in this scene, but I don't right now, you know, what I, what I call him a top three or top five, you know, maybe I think it's, I think it's not as clear cut. I think you see it in moments. I definitely think you see moments where he takes over the game. I think you see moments where, you know, he, he, he flashes, but it's not, it's not at the level of other high level safeties. I'm going to agree with Nick on this one. I think in about three or four games this year, I've seen just stretches of dominant play from Collins. But again, they were only stretches of dominant play. And at the same time, it's only been three or four games. Now, when you look to this offseason, I think the franchise tag is the best move for the Giants. I think the what we otherwise what the Giants are going to do is pay Collins 
based on a dominant 16 or dominant 17 game stretch during the 2016 season, 16 regular season, then the one playoff game in a completely different defensive scheme with a lot of different personnel in front of him in that front seven. So to me, it's a very risky thing to do that. I think the smartest move is to, is, is to franchise tag him, look at him one more year, have more data to work with, more game film, more tape, to look at him in this scheme and see if he can perform up to the level of the top paid safeties in the NFL. Because when you re-sign Odell Beckham Jr. and make him the highest paid receiver, you know he's going to continue to play like the highest paid receiver in the NFL. And I thought he was unbelievable against the Falcons, by the way. I thought that was his best game of the season. His route running was crisp. I thought he looked awesome. I don't know about you, Nick, but I thought that was easily Beckham's best game of the season. But the point is, you re-sign him, you know you're getting a top receiver. With Collins, I I really need to see it in the scheme first. And he has he has more time to do it, you know. He's got eight games left in this season, albeit without some of the starters that he thought he'd have going into the season. But, you know, we'll see because he is playing for that big contract. Um, we're going to also turn our attention to Janoris Jenkins, another very popular trade candidate rumor guy. Uh, today he said he hopes he doesn't get traded. He wants to be here. Um, but at the same time, his contract is also carries massive cap hits over the next two seasons, and the Giants may look to move on from him. Now, I'm going to ask you, Nick, in a second, but first I'll say this. I don't think the Giants will trade Janoris Jenkins. I think that after losing Dominique Rodgers-Gramardi last offseason and after losing Ross Cockrell this past offseason, another guy who played a lot of really good snaps at cornerback for the Giants last season, and after trading Eli Apple, the cupboard's just too damn barren at the quarterback position. Remember, guys, they need to put together a team that they think could possibly compete next season if they hit right on the quarterback position. Because obviously, one of the main reasons we've gone over in exhaust, in exhaustive fashion, why this team's struggling is that they're not getting above average play from the quarterback position. But you know, you can hit on a quarterback this offseason. It's not a guaranteed, you know, fail at quarterback going into next season. Who knows? It could be Kyle Oletta. It could be Teddy Bridgewater. It could be somebody they draft in 2019 draft. And you're going to need a roster that can compete. And at the cornerback position, it's just simply too barren right now. If you trade Janoris Jenkins, regardless of the money he makes right now, regardless if he's having a bad season, which he is compared to his normal standards, um, if you trade a guy like that, you're really putting your roster at ma ma major risk, in my opinion, because behind him, you got BW Webb, you got Grant Haley, you got uh, uh, Tony Lippett now, who they signed from the Dolphins. Um, and you know, a bunch of other guys that, that really may not be a part of this team's future and may not be able to compete on a weekly basis next season if they hit on the quarterback position. So to me, I think they have to keep him. Nick, where do you stand on that? I think overall, yeah, if you, if you trade Apple, um, there's just two, it's two difficult corners. Uh, so the price tag would have to be super high. The other side of this too is Sam Beal is a third rounder that you got who's going to, who right. if he went in the draft this year, you would easily, you'd say easily, he would definitely be a second rounder. This year's draft class for the cornerbacks is as it stands right now is yeah. not super, is, is not super deep. So I don't, I think it'd have to be a pretty hefty price tag, whether or not I like moving it or not. I think you'd have to, from an analyst perspective, you'd have to assume that Dave Gettleman would hold out for the best offer. That's not his style. Uh, I, so I think if, I think if he does trade him, I almost think it's, you know, it, it's going to be hitting the bid or crossing the bid, as we used to say in the industry I was part of previously, where you're you're kind of <laughs> you're taking an okay price, but you're moving him. You're, you're he's priced to go basically. Um, and right. so for me, I don't I don't I don't really love it. I, w I wouldn't unless if they had some plan. What I did not realize is that he's thirty, which right that gives me some pause. Um, 
But at the same token, I think that the price still has to be right because again, they don't have a bench full of defensive backs. And right. I, and and and, and um, also, you know, Gettleman doesn't seem like a guy who's going to bring in a lot of high price free agents on the on the on the, and the for all the defensive backs in general. I think maybe he would spring for like a Peterson um, if he becomes available. But besides that, I just think that you know you, you got to hold on to who you have here a little bit. No doubt. And I did uh, fail to mention. Sam Beal, who is obviously a huge part of this team's future. Um, but yeah, that even even with Beal, I still feel like the cupboard's a little too barren. But then we move on to Lydia Vernon, another guy set to make $19.5 million in the next two seasons, at least against the cap. There's a lot of bar- guaranteed money, still $12 million in bonuses to be paid out. Um, he's another guy who's been a part of the rumors. Now, there was a report from NJ.com's beat writers that the Giants are not interested in trading him. And he's, out of all the guys we just mentioned, I would be least pleased with the decision to trade him. And I know it's controversial. I know a lot of Giants fans are really against this guy, but I think when he's on the field, he's a difference maker. I think there's nothing more important on the defensive side of the ball than getting consistent pass rush. I think it's really, really hard to find consistent pass rushers. And I don't think the Giants have any on their roster right now besides Vernon. So to me, it's a no-brainer. You keep him. Yes, he's high-priced. Who cares? you got to spend the cap. The Giants are not the Cincinnati Bengals. They don't have Mark Brown as their owner, or Mike Brown as their owner. They're not going to sit $60 million or $40 million under the cap every year. They're going to spend their entire cap. So at this point, they've already cleared out uh, up to $35 million, I believe it, it's currently, uh, on next year's cap. They're going to clear another seventeen and a half unless they're crazy and they keep Eli Manning. That's that's up to fifty-three. So, you know, you clear this contract, yeah, you're going to get another $20 mil or whatever it is, because I guess, I guess most of the guarantees will be paid out this season. So, yeah, you're going to get another t- close to $20 million against the cap. But where the hell are you going to spend it, guys? Any contract signed now on the defense side of the ball is going to be more expensive than the one Vernon signed for somebody of his caliber, in my opinion. Um, so, to me, this is a no-brainer. Where do you stand, Nick? And remember, he just turned 28 years old two weeks ago. So, he's basically you know, just turned 28. He's still – if he's healthy, he's still he's still got it. I think it's, that's pretty clear. So, where do you, where do you stand, though, Nick? I think uh, a little bit more on the set, on the side of that he has to prove himself in the next five to six weeks, not because he was from previous administration and all that type of thing, but more just that it, it, from a durability perspective. Um, and I don't think it's his fault, obviously. And I just think that for what they have going out the door, and again, not really my opinion, but trying to analyze how um, how Gettleman does things. That was always kind of the Carolina issue, right? Yeah. Is that they never really had a they, they weren't willing to pay for a defensive end. So I think, and again, I agree with you more, but I think he thinks that he can go, you know, get other talent in other ways to that and, and spend more on the interior of the line than the exterior. Um, whether or not that plan that pans out, because obviously he doesn't do everything exactly the same way he did things in Carolina. I just I don't know, but I in my gut feeling that if he plays well in the next three, three or four games or shows on tape or or has production, I think I think he's going to be here. But otherwise, I think he is, you know, and I, so I, I guess to answer the question, I don't think he's going to be traded. I think it would be more of an offseason type thing. Yeah, and maybe he gets traded in the offseason. It's possible. I would agree with Nick. I mean, listen, if he doesn't pick up his play, I think he's played pretty well. But if he doesn't play well down the stretch and stay healthy, then the decision is kind of forced for the Giants in the offseason. I get it. Maybe they can get back a fourth rounder or something later. It's not going to be much more than that. I'll tell you that. If he plays poorly down the stretch and gets hurt, it won't be much more than that. But, yeah, I can see it for sure. But as far as what I meant is uh, before this deadline, I just don't see it happening, and I don't think it's a good idea. Um, We're going to transition real quick here, and we're going to do a quick mini breakdown. Or uh, You know what? Actually, uh, we we covered that a little bit earlier. We're going to get to 
we're going to jump right into the user questions now. Some what you guys were 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 thrown out there on Twitter. And again, guys, remember if you enjoy the podcast, the only things we ask of you is one: rate and review us on iTunes. Help us out there. Get our get our get our get our podcast pushed pushed up the alg. And then at the same time, just send us questions. We love to answer your questions. Our favorite part about the show. I talk about this with Nick after we're done recording every week. It's just the questions you guys give us. They're so smart. Um, they really fit the theme of the show and what we try to do here. So just send your questions in. And I, I obviously got to do a better job of asking a little bit earlier. But feel free to at any point during the week hit either of us up on Twitter and just hashtag it Big Blue Banter um, and just ask any question about this team. Um, but we'll dive right in now. Uh, so Zachary Luca asks, first week – they came out with 12 personnel and showed no fear offensively against a good Jaguars defense that was healthy. They started under sender, tried to establish a run. The chances were there. And why did they go away from that after the first week? That's a, that's a good question. Uh, I think you have two factors at play. I think you have the micro game plans that have gone in, meaning you put a per game basis. They're going to adjust accordingly, but yeah, uh, from the macro overall, um, I don't know if I want to answer this now this way, but I just think that the, the execution of the run game went away and thus the faith in it has kind of gone away. Uh, and so I think it needs to kind of get revived a little bit. And, and whether it comes from under center or shotgun, I think that they're going to have to, I think they want to come, they want to, they want to mix in both. Basically, I don't think it's going to be all or nothing in one, you know, one direction that way. But yeah, I, I think it's a combination of those two things and, and it's, and it's an execution factor. And at this point, I hate to talk about, out against the coaching staff, but thinking, watching the tape again uh, from from Monday night, I just I'm not seeing the run game coordination be where it needs to be, and I, part of me kind of thinks that you know, if a sword's got to fall on someone for for kind of what's happened to make you one and six, I think it may be Hal Hunter here. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just it, it's one of those things. I hate to say it, I hate to kind of start that or whatever it is, you know, right? But it's just you're, you're not seeing. They're not playing a level they need to play, and I know they're not. They're, he doesn't have the talent, but when you're only running inside zone and you're only running duo, and guys like me are counting on the on their hand the amount of time that you're running pin pull schemes. I mean, like, what the hell, right? Yeah. And so and so, I just I think that that's 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 why you're seeing that. And listen, Hal Hunter's not the only offensive line coach in the NFL who's been dealt a poor hand with his personnel. Let's be honest here. The offensive line is the, the scarcest position in the NFL besides quarterback, basically. So. You know, he can do a much better job. But I think a lot of it has also just been game script and game flow. Giants have just fallen behind by multiple score, scores over and over and over again. And it really takes them away from being able to stay in 12 personnel. At least Pat Shermer believes that. So, and, and, and he's made that pretty clear with the personnel he's used. So part of it is game script. Part of it was, is what Nick talked about, really just no success from a run blocking standpoint and no creativity of diversity in the run blocking game. So there's a lot of issues, but I think they all kind of factor in. Um, Giants Dreamer asks, cap considerations aside, the Giants now have five picks from rounds five through seven. They traded all five. They can move up to a high fourth. Not sure the overall value. I'm not sure of what the overall value is of accumulating lower level picks. Thoughts? So I'll jump in first here. Um, so there is still value to accumulating uh, lower level picks. Sure, they don't hit as often, but they're not a guarantee to not hit. Um, for starters, Gettleman landed Daryl Williams, the Panthers' right tackle, in the fourth round of the NFL draft. And Daryl Williams uh, last year graded out as the number one right tackle in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus. 
Um, he's a guy I think will be on the Giants' radar in free agency this offseason. He's a really good player. He also landed guys like A.J. Klein later in the draft, who's been a good linebacker in the NFL. So it's not impossible, in my opinion, to find players with those later picks. And if you do hit on those later picks, what you're going to get out of that is somebody who's under contract, insanely cheap against the cap, for four years. This is how the best teams win in the NFL. They accumulate guys under under their rookie contract who are making big-time contributions. But at the very least, even if that's not the case, what these picks are going to do is give Dave Gettleman ammo to trade up and get his guy. Last year, he wanted to trade up for Will Hernandez. He held himself back. back. He was patient. They landed him anyway. He also wanted to trade back into it, and that was back into the first round. He also wanted to trade back into the second round and grab Lorenzo Carter. He wasn't sure he would last. He was patient. He lasted. But two years before that, in his last year as the Panthers general manager, he wasn't so patient. And he used those picks, those late round picks, extra picks, to trade up and get back into the second round of the NFL draft for the Panthers with their third round pick, where he selected Taylor Moden, the offensive tackle, who's now playing like one of the best tackles in the NFL, basically. I won't go that far, but he's playing damn close to it. And he's grading out like one of the best offensive tackles in the NFL. So what can it do? It can either land you potential of a all-star lottery hit where you get a guy under contract, under the cap for under a million for four years, or it can help you trade up to land those guys that you believe can be cornerstone players for your franchise, like he believed with Moden uh, and like he believed with Hernandez. Where do you, what, what, do you have anything you any extra thoughts on this, Nick? No, no not really my wheelhouse. And, uh, and yeah, no, I would have to agree. I think that's kind of where he's going with it. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Dodge asks, <laughs> you should cover – who would win in a fight? You or Carl Banks? So just a little background on this. Uh, today uh, on Twitter, I, I posted a video I did for 24-7 Sports where uh, our, our video host, Kevin Boylar, a great guy, asked me, you know, if there's a surprise player to be traded, who do you think it's going to be? And I threw out Sterling Shepard. Um, so basically my case for why he could be surprisingly moved is, is that the Giants are looking to reallocate their assets and their resources under Gettleman, away from the skill position players and towards the trenches. That's something Gettleman's made a point of doing. Uh, and it's something that I think might be a wise decision. And there's other factors that play into a, a possible trade being a good decision for the Giants, such as Shepard's going to be a free agent next offseason. And if you trade him now and you can get a second-round pick for him maybe because a team gave up a first-round pick for Amari Cooper, it's always possible at this point, uh, especially when you look at some of the free agent contracts signed last offseason. And we'll get into that in a second. But if you can land a second-round pick, Gettleman has a really good track record of drafting offensive linemen. So with that second-round pick, if he can draft another offensive lineman like Hernandez, well, now you restart that whole rookie contract process. And instead of a rookie deal like Shepard's, which is – you know, running out at the end of 2019. Now the rookie deal for whoever you draft in the second round runs out in 2022. In addition to that, the Giants already have three skill position players on the roster who are under contract for at least another three seasons after this one in Ingram, Barkley, and Oda Beckham Jr. And just how many, you know, how much salary cap do we want to spend on the skill position players after seeing that this process of drafting and signing and, you know, allocating your resources and your cap space to the skill positions is kind of what got the Giants into this roster mess. And then you look at the open market and you say, okay, well, maybe the Giants can sign Sterling Shepard when he's a free agent to a bargain deal. But that really just doesn't really add up when you consider that Albert Wilson got $8 million per year this offseason and Taylor Gabriel got $7 million per year this offseason on the open market. And Paul Richardson got 
Five years, 40 million, 8 million a year. Shepard's going to get 9 or 10 million. He's better than all of those players if he hits the open market from the Giants or from somebody else. So to me, there were a lot of reasons to consider the trade. I didn't say they should definitely do it. And uh, for whatever reasons, Carl Banks, Giants legendary linebacker, um, didn't like this take at all, called it a trash garbage take, which which kind of sucked to hear. But in the end, honestly, guys, it ended up working out really well. Just to give you guys a lowdown of this. Carl reached out to me via DM, followed me, and then reached out to me and kind of uh, you know apologized and tried to explain what his intentions were of doing this and that really he believes that I'm a smart analyst and you know part of potential, you know, potentially the the future thought thinkers for the Giants. And he reached out and we're actually gonna talk, you know, we're gonna have a little conversation on the phone tomorrow about maybe what I can do to try to get more connected and get more resources and sources on some of these takes. Um, But, you know, in the end, I stand by my take regardless. I believe that I laid out the facts pretty strongly. Uh, But as far as who would win in a fight, Carl Banks would destroy me. I'm a uh, five foot eight Jewish kid from the suburbs of New Jersey. And while I do go to the gym and lift weights, I still weigh about a buck 75. So, and that's soaking wet. So I would get my ass kicked in a fight by Carl Banks if that's, if that's the question. But, um, Nick, you got anything else on this or should we move on? No, no, and no, I'm not fighting Carl Banks either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He'd probably kick both of our asses if we were both <laughs> in there fighting him from different angles. Um, Benji, one of our loyal followers and question askers, I don't even know that's a word, but I'm going to say it, says, based on the moves they're making, in your opinion, what are the odds we see Eli retire next year? So I think Eli is going to retire this offseason. Um, I really do believe that. I don't think he wants to play for any other NFL franchise. And I don't think, based on the recent moves the Giants made to trade Damon Harrison and Eli Apple, I don't think the Giants are going to retain him this offseason. Um, so for me, the odds are, are very high. I think about a 75% chance he retires this offseason. I think there's unfortunately like a 10 to 15% chance the Giants retain him this offseason. It's crazy to say, but like there's just the way this organization is run. I, I'm not sold that they, they won't use another. We need to fix the offensive line. It was not on him excuse, um, <laughs> personally. Uh, but, you know, and then I think there's just a 10% chance that he that he signs with another team after the Giants release him. Where do you stand on this, Nick? Uh, with all due respect to a guy who's had an unreal career and a, been a real competitor, um, you know, I, I would I, I would even hire. I would say there's no chance. Uh, I think if he is here next year, that means that something crazy happened and Pat Shermer's not. Uh, I don't think that uh, – Ooh, I like that. It, yeah, it's not, it's, not to, it's not to issue this whole blame game. This blame game where all of a sudden, like, the, like it's like, you know, you vote this guy off the island. It's not what it's about. It's just the offense isn't getting run the way it should. And I think that Pat Schirmer is not going to, I don't know how much more he can bend. And I just don't think it's, it's yeah. working out. And Pat Schirmer's got, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no. And so it's just, it gets to this point where I just think it's, I'm not saying it's one or the other. I just think that it's just, yeah, he, I think it's, it's, it's come that time. And, um, you know, he's, he's, he was a great player and a great giant. Yeah. And and let's be honest. We before we judge Pat Shermer, I know we've been a little bit harsh on his play call. I want we we all have to wait until we he gets his chance with the quarterback that he's handpicked. Eli Manning is a quarterback he inherited. Um, Dave Gettleman was very strong in his opinion that Man- Manning still had what it took. And like we've like I've said, from an arm talent standpoint, it's all still there for me. It really is. I mean, he misses some throws. He's not as accurate as he could be, but. There's so many bad quarterbacks around the NFL from an arm talent standpoint. When I watch people act like this is not the case, but like, I guess they're not watching case Keenum play and like these players like this, because there's a lot of them. I'm not going to go through all 32, but just look around the NFL from an arm talent standpoint. He's not one of the worst in the NFL, but you know, it's not all there mentally right now for him. And he has no mobility. It's time to move on. But one thing while we're on this topic, Nick, that I thought was interesting that I want to talk about with you today, because you actually put this in my mind the first time. 
in the Ben McAdoo system, like you broke down to me, a lot of the offense for Manning was kind of trying to diagnose the play before the snap and immediately get rid of the football to a spot. Is that pretty accurate? Uh, yeah, um, what his pre-snap reads are um, or what he was doing pre-snap, it wasn't as nearly as simplistic as what he's doing with Shermer. Right. And, uh, and, uh, it, it, but, yeah, they, there's still a high level of, of that. And, and, well, and the bigger thing with – bigger thing, actually, just back it up, I just would say that McAdoo, McAdoo believed the best way to beat pressure was with speed. Right. Speed in the quick game. That was that was his goal, one hundred and ten percent. Right. So, yes. so if your goal as a quarter as a coach for four straight years, and you're playing under this coach as a quarterback for four straight years, was to get rid of the football as quickly as possible. That's how you beat pressure, beat them to the spot. Um, is it possible that that has caused some regression in Manning's ability to anticipate and read coverages down the field? Uh, your standpoint, as someone who's studied the game as well as you have. Could be. Uh, definitely could be because right now – I think it has, but I want to hear what you say on this. I think it could be just because um, I think that there is a sense that Eli reads things very well, but what I'm seeing on tape is that defenses are doing everything they can from at the snap to the post snap as Eli is going back into his drop to, excuse my French, but to fuck with him, right. and he is not handling it. So, yeah, why is that why? That could that definitely could be. Can't I can't really tell. But when you go back to even just in 2013 and 2014, when when McAdoo first came, you know he was doing things very efficiently. He was doing he was via elimination, being all via all types of ways that quarterbacks basically read the defense. He was it showed even even in their poor games that they had in McAdoo's first season, he was very good. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely could be that. Yeah, because I'm thinking that and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, hey, how did a guy like this regress so much mentally over the course of his career? And you look at these four years of McAdoo, and I really do believe they took a toll on him from that standpoint. But, you know, I'm happy to hear a little bit of a different take on it, at least. Uh, and just in general, talk about that, because I think it's something really interesting that's not talked about enough. Um, and here's another question, actually, from Benji. I know it's early, but are there any start now offensive linemen in this year's draft? Honestly, Benji, I'm not in the process of evaluating the draft yet. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I probably won't have a good grip of this thing until uh, February, really, at the earliest. But it's going to be late Feb. That's just how this process works. You know, I'm still covering the team and this season and all the moves that are being made for now and the future with the current roster. But I have read that there are a few really good tackles in this class, offensive tackles, and that was not the case for the past two years' worth of classes and maybe even further back. So just something to keep an eye on. Nick, have you done any draft work yet or kind of in the future? Um, the few of the teams look at on the tackle side, I would definitely say there's, there's some, there's some guys, I don't remember names, but the San Diego state kid, their left tackle is a monster and someone you'd absolutely look at the, and for a later round type type deal, he may be a higher round talent, but just, he may get overlooked because I think the class is a little stacked between the guys they got at, you know, schools like Wisconsin to, uh, to the kid they got at Washington state. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a higher number of tackles there. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a good draft to get involved in. And I would pay attention, honestly, just not just to throw a sleeper out there because I'm, I'm you know, I've only seen a few games, but the San Diego state kid was, was very good. Interesting. I'm now going to take a look at him because now, now, now you pike my own interest here, Nick. So um, <laughs> Kyle asked a question about Kyle. We, we, we see you here, in, but you're asking another question about the draft. We're going to hold off on that hidden gems in the draft. We'll, we'll get there. This it's going to turn into a draft podcast at some point. Don't worry about that. We're going to hit this draft hard. I'm, this is what I'm most excited for, honestly, about this podcast, especially now that I got Nick. He really knows how to evaluate these these, off, uh, these football players, and we're going to have a lot of time to do that <laughs> with the way this giant season is going. Uh, but the last question we got um, is from Rob, and Rob wants to know, 
What are some good outcomes that you'd like to see as a result of the Giants effectively having the rest of the season off? <laughs> uh, wow, there's a lot of ways to go with that. I would definitely see, I would definitely see, or I would like to see Barkley's progress as a runner um, evolve a little bit, where he becomes a little, just a, just a touch more efficient. Um, and I think if you have to, you know, I think he's, I think he's going to be awesome. And I think he is awesome right now. I just think that's a that's a it's a time for him to hone his skill in terms of reads in the inside zone and in terms of um, I would say understanding and getting his play speed up in terms of pass protection. That's another side. Uh, and so so psyched to see his development. Very psyched to see the development of the secondary. I really want guys like Sean Chandler to do well. That's kind of what I'm kind of, I mean, and Grant Haley too, for that matter. Uh, just guys with good stories that are going to kind of be diamonds in the rough a little bit. And, and Betra has a history of doing that with guys in, on, in Arizona, just in terms of you know, featuring guys that are not, that are not, you know, household names and, and making them better. So he, he did do that through two years there. Uh, and then um, I guess the, the other side of it, just to see if they can, I mean, the easy one for me is because I've read, read, written on him for so long is Kyle Oletta, um, is to, and to see if he can, if he, if he can be an NFL player uh, for this team, for sure. Yeah, I mean, Nick hit basically everything I want to see. <laughs> for starters, most importantly, we got to see Kyle Oletta. You know, it's time. It's obvious after these moves, Trey Damon Harrison, Eli Apple, they're looking towards the future. Well, the best way to look towards the future is see if this kid can do it. I understand the situation's not great. People have to understand. And actually, John Lettered, Lettered I think his name is. I don't I don't ever pronounce his last name. We're buddies on Twitter. John, he's a great, great, great draft analyst, so follow him on Twitter, John Lettered, and he put out a really, really, really extensive piece today, you know, breaking down and explaining why it's been so difficult for these rookie quarterbacks this season. You see defenses have pretty much figured out Baker Mayfield. You know, he's struggling against Tampa Bay's number 32 ranked defense last week. Josh Rosen struggling in Arizona. Darnold on and off, but struggling for the most part here. Josh Allen was literally the worst quarterback in the NFL when he was playing by every statistical measure. Uh, I tweeted something out about that today. Uh, Scott Kasmer from Football Outsiders broke it down. Uh, Allen's season from 11 different statistical standpoints, including DVOA and DVR, and he was DVAR, and he was <laughs> dead last in all of them. But, um, you know, it's really tough for a rookie quarterback, so I don't totally want to let it to be judged on his production, but if we see him in this, uh, in this lineup with whatever they've got left on the offensive line, but still Barkley, still Beckham, still Shepard, still Ingram, we are gonna. What me and Nick are gonna be looking for is just flashes and signs that he can get it done when the rest, uh, when when what's around him is fixed. If that makes sense. So, well, that is the big one. And then obviously on the other side of the ball, Grant Haley, Sean Chandler, R.J. McIntosh, who they're now you know who's practicing now and could get called up to the game soon. A guy that we talked about a lot in the preseason. A guy we think can get a pass rush for them from the five tech spot or maybe even the three tech. Um, these are guys we want to see this season. We're going to hopefully get a chance to see them down the stretch. It looks like the fans are finally realizing, hey, the best move for this team is to use these last eight games of the season as a trial for the future. So that's kind of where I stand. Is there anything else you wanted to throw in there, Nick? No, no, I think, uh, I think you hit it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just to see what they got. It'll be fun. Yep. Well, on that note, guys, we're going to sign off. And I would normally say go Giants, but let's be honest, the best case scenario for the Giants is not to win football games right now uh, with where they stand. But you know, you're not going to root for that. So we'll, we'll throw it out. We'll sign it off with a classic Go Giants. But uh, just as a reminder to everyone, you can follow all of my work uh, at, on Twitter at Dan Schneier NFL, uh, D-A-N-S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R NFL. And then if you want to follow my actual content, what I actually write about, 
hit up CBS Sports app on your phone, download the CBS Sports app, and then click on the Giants. It's one of your favorite teams. And all my content goes up on there. Nick, where can we find all of your work? Uh, uh, Twitter handle tmanic21, T-M-A-N-I-C-21. The pylon and cover one. Cover one is all Giants. And the pylon is going to vary for mostly NFC East stuff. And uh, have a YouTube channel under the same name. And as well, we'll be trying to feature more as much as I can uh, in the in terms of the message boards, that type of thing, big blue huddle, uh, Reddit, all the, and try to, and putting some stuff there too. That's kind of exclusive content for those groups too, uh, apart from everything else. Perfect. Perfect. All right, guys, on that note, thanks again for tuning in. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you, we'll speak to you guys next week. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.